All right, good evening. If you could take a seat if you haven't already, we would appreciate it. Happy New Year. Welcome to our first executive speaker series of 2019. And thank you in a special way for braving the polar vortex to be here. We really appreciate you taking your time out and we'll be sure to have you out in timely fashion so you can get home to your warm beds before the temperatures really drop. I'm Leah Wojciechowski Ross, the president of the YCP Detroit chapter. How many of you have never been to an event? This is your first event. Good. Give them a hand. Welcome. Well, we have a lot in store for you for this new year of 2019. And I could give you lots of examples of opportunities and events that we have in store for you, but I want to highlight one national level example and one local level example of things that you can look forward to this year. So first of all, how many of you knew that we are part of a national network, not just here in Detroit, but national? Cool. Okay, so we have currently 19 chapters across the country. YCP Detroit is the 16th chapter that started a year and a half ago now. And of course, as a national organization, we know that there are young professionals all over the country who are striving for the same things we are, to be the best versions of ourselves in our work life, in our personal life, and in our spiritual life. So on the national level, my example, and after the event, you can pick up a postcard if you didn't already, but we have a national conference coming up in September in Dallas, which is why we had Texas-themed props over at our photo booth straight back. So we'll be in Dallas this September. The topic is practice the presence. So uh, we had our conference in Cleveland last fall. We'll be in Dallas this fall. And that's an opportunity for 400 young professionals from across the country to all come together as a national family. So really encourage you to pick up a postcard and consider going to that event. Second, on a local level, so I'm very excited to announce that our chapter is starting an official service team to help coordinate service events in the Metro Detroit area. We've heard a lot of people say they wanna do more community service. We've always wanted to do that and finally we're getting that going. Um, so Trey, where's Trey? Oh, he was wearing yellow before, I could spot him better. But that's Trey, he's our new service coordinator. And what we need all of you to think about right now is whether you have a heart for service and would like to help in a very simple way to look for events in the area, to coordinate some of those service events, and basically just organize them, coordinate them, put them together, and then we can go out as a YCP team and perform some service in the area. There are lots of opportunities. So talk to Trey in the bright yellow over there if you are interested in being one of those people to lend your service Heart. All right. Okay. Well, I think I've said enough for now. So I want to introduce our chaplain for our chapter, Monsignor Kosenki. He will give us a brief reflection and blessing before our speaker tonight. 
Thanks, Leah. We also want to thank uh, the pastor of this parish, Father uh, Merrick uh, Frankowski, for hosting the a event tonight. Uh, also, the last few days, I was have been with Jennifer Bow, who's the founder of YCP. I was with her in California, and so we it was an opportunity to talk about all the good things that uh, the trade chapter is doing. So, for our word today, really taking it from this past Sunday's gospel, which hopefully you heard and remembered. It's the fourth chapter of Luke's Gospel, where Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth in the synagogue, which we're told was his custom to do as a trained rabbi. And he rolled open the scroll of the book of Isaiah, one of the largest uh, books, and he rolled it up until the, till the end, around chap between chapters 56 and 66. And he quoted Isaiah. Now, Keep in mind, Jesus is the Word of God, right? So how awesome that the Word of God is quoting the Hebrew Scriptures, God's inspired Word. But what he does, he quotes from Isaiah, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, the sight to the blind, the liberty to captives, and to proclaim a year of grace to the, of the Lord. Basically, those few verses is what was Jesus' mission statement at the beginning of his ministry. And so you, you know, in your own profession, whatever it may be, you know, over the last couple decades, it's been kind of, what, in, in vogue to kind of have a, everybody have, a, all companies have a mission statement, even for people to have a personal mission statement. And the real purpose of a mission statement is what? Is to focus. What is your purpose? And so as a disciple of Jesus, as a young Catholic professional, in some ways we all share in the mission of Jesus. And the discernment is, is how we fit in. You know, even the second reading this past Sunday, St. Paul uses what? The image of the body to illustrate that all the parts right, are necessary in order to have a healthy uh, body. So all of us, as disciples of Jesus, are called to participate in his mission and discern the gifts, the spiritual gifts, perhaps, and perhaps even the talents that God has given each one of us, to discern how we can participate in that mission, which also can tie into that service team that uh, Leah just referred to. How can I use what God has given me to serve others, to help others, and even to advance the gospel in my own particular place of work. Uh, that is the invitation that each of us have, the call that each of us have, and it's really up to each of us individually, perhaps with the help of a spiritual director or, or a mentor, to figure out what that is. But every single one of you here, no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, every single one of you here are important. Important for, to advance the mission of Jesus, to unleash the gospel, as the Archbishop says, to be examples and models of faith to inspire others in order to participate in that mission as well. 
So let us pray that right now, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that uh, the Lord will pour out his, his blessings upon each one of us, that we will be open to the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our life, that Holy Spirit will receive that confirmation uh, and all the gifts to help us to grow in holiness, to help us discern God's will in our life, and how we can uh, participate in uh, the mission of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. One last, perhaps an announcement, what's typical at a YCP event is that there are priests available uh, for uh, confessions or just to talk, whatever. There's three of us here tonight. Uh, I'm going to ask the two of them to stand, the other two. Father Grayson Heenan from, uh, from uh, Pontiac and Father Paul Snyder from St. Mary's in Oak. I think Father Paul is going over here where the coats are, right? And Father Grayson, he's going to go behind that that screen in the back. And I think I'm, I maybe go to the top of the stairs. I have a bird's eye view. I don't know. But you're welcome to go come to throughout the night to to come to any one of us for confession or or talk or whatever. So have a great evening, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Monsignor. I really appreciate that you mentioned the call to action since that is the third and most important part of our YCP mission as we learn about our Catholic identity, we foster this community that we have right here, and then we're equipped and inspired to answer our call to action. And I love that idea of writing a personal mission statement. And of course, we can incorporate our talents, our gifts, our opportunities in our life to see where God is really calling us and make that into our own mission for our lives. All right, now I have the privilege of introducing our speaker for tonight. His name is Dr. Daniel Fratarelli. He actually met YCP Detroit last August at the Pierogi Festival at Sweetest Heart of Mary. So it's very pertinent, I think, and relevant that we have pierogi here and we have kielbasa and beer because that's what he was eating and drinking when he met YCP. So we're very, very grateful for that. He was just walking by, had no idea that he would run into us, and here he is. So I've learned a lot from his stories already, and I'm very excited to hear those stories fleshed out even more. Just a little bit of background about Dr. Fratarelli. He is currently president of the Beaumont Medical Group, a multi-specialty practice of over 1,000 physicians with $800 million in annual revenue. After high school, Dr. Fratarelli served in the Navy and worked in an auto factory before deciding to be a doctor. He did his undergraduate work at the University of Michigan and received his MD at Michigan State University's College of Human Medicine. He completed his internship and residency in pediatrics at Children's Hospital of Michigan, was selected as chief resident, then did graduate work and a fellowship in clinical pharmacology. He served as a national committee chair at the American Academy of Pediatrics and was instrumental in the passage of the Food and Drug Administration Safety and Innovation Act, strengthening pediatric medication laws. He currently lives in Canton with his wife, has two children in college, and attends St. Stephen Parish in New Boston. So we invite you to sit back, relax, even take notes. If you think of a question during... If you think of a question, 
during his presentation, be sure to write it down because you'll have a chance to text it in during Q&A. All right, so let's welcome Dr. Daniel Fredarelli. No, thanks. I <clears throat> appreciate you having me out here tonight, Leah, and uh, appreciate all you guys coming out for the, for, the, for the evening, especially in this lousy weather. I live in fear of these um, wireless microphones since my residency. Um, we had this eminent speaker that got invited in to give us a Grand Rounds presentation. And um, AV guy had to set him up early because he had to go and work in another room. So gets him clipped in, everything is good. Auditorium is filling up and he says, huh, better go to the bathroom before a long talk. <laughs> the bathroom was right around the corner. And he, he still had pretty good reception on the wireless mic. Um, he washed his hands, um, but then nobody had the heart to tell him uh, when he came out because he probably would have just been far too embarrassed to complete his talk. Um, that didn't happen to me though. I made sure mine was turned off beforehand. So wanted to go over a few things uh, with you guys tonight, just a few pointers that I found were helpful to me when I was coming up um, and are also things that you know, now that I'm you know, looking for and recruiting new people, these are things that I look for as well. Um, based pretty much on the kind of experiences I've had, uh, both when I was in the service and then you know, since then. So the first one is, you guys, just accept ownership for all the stuff that happens in your life, okay? Don't make excuses for anything. This, um, this came to a really clear focus for me when I was in the Navy. The program I was in was very, very selective. And one day there was a power failure in the barracks. My kids hate this story. Um, they think I've weaponized it. Um, there's a power failure in the barracks and a bunch of us overslept. So we get called in the captain's office one by one. And there's two doors, okay? You see people going in, you don't know what happens, they, they go out another door. So we're all, you know, sent, sort of lined up there. It's like when you get called to the principal's office, but worse. And two things happened to people when they went in there. Um, some people went in there, and when the captain said, well, why were you late? People said, oh, well, there was a power failure in the barracks and my alarm clock didn't go off. Anybody who made an excuse like that was thrown out of the program, okay? Or you could do what I did, which is when the captain says, what happened? I said, I overslept, sir. He says, what, that's it? That's all you got? I said, yes, sir, overslept, won't happen again. And it didn't, I went out and bought like those wind-up alarm clocks <laughs> and put them in there and I, 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 never, I never did that again. But you, you can't be somebody who's making excuses for things. You have to accept ownership of what happens to you and what you do. And there's a couple really practical reasons for that. One of them is, as soon as you start making excuses and blaming other people, you've basically removed any ability to control the situation yourself, right? You've given control of this, of your behavior, to somebody else. If you own this, you have a potential to go ahead and act on it and influence it and make it better, all right? Um, the second thing is, nobody really wants to work with, with somebody like that. If you screw something up, and you will, just admit it. I boofed something just the other day at work. I was supposed to have you know, notified this group of physicians about a, a change that we made with one of the insurance companies. And I let all of them know except for one. Just you know, slipped my mind, didn't put them on the email. 
And so when he called me, I was like, yeah, dude, I screwed this up. I'm sorry. You know, it wasn't intentional. It was just an oversight. But saying you're sorry and admitting when you've done something wrong, I can't tell you how many emails I send out that say, guys, sorry, screwed this up. Sorry about this. Won't happen again. And then you go ahead and fix it. All right. It's really refreshing when you have people who do this. All right. So accept ownership of everything. Don't make excuses. And by the way, one of the terms you're going to hear a lot in business right now is accountability. Right? You guys have probably all heard this before. I hate that. Accountability to me means that you're, you're motivated to do something because you're being held accountable by somebody else. Whereas ownership is a very personal, a very internal thing. So again, try to get that internal sense of, of responsibility for your actions. Second thing I'd tell you guys is don't quit. All right? There are going to be many, many times along the way where you are going to want to give up. I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me. Um, there were some very you know, difficult times, again, when I was in the service, where people would be in my face saying, you really think you can do this for a full year? You really think you can last out? And they get in your head like this, right? Because when you look at, I'm going to have a year of this, you think, maybe he's right. Maybe I can't do this. But I knew I could make it to lunch. So I'd say, all right, I'm going to make it to lunch, then I'm going to quit. And then I'd get to lunch, I'd say, oh, I made it this far. Dinner's not that far away. I don't want you guys to get the impression that I'm overly food motivated based on what Leo was saying here, but, but I'd make it to dinner. And then it's like, okay, well, I made it to dinner here. Let me just get through the night and we'll see, I'll quit tomorrow. But breaking it down into small steps like that is really, really useful because you're going to get overwhelmed with stuff. And the most important thing is that you just continue plugging along. Have you guys had those, those like, um, leadership or, or team building exercises where a consultant comes in and you got to fill out one of those forms about yourself and then they come back with this really insightful psychological profile about you and you're all supposed to sit around in a circle and share what your strengths are. They're, they're lethal. Had to do one of those. Um, and so we were you know, going around the room and there were a lot of people who were feeling really good about themselves. All right, And they were talking about how, you guys hear me? Okay, just making sure. Um, you know, talking about Oh yeah, I'm you know really really smart and I'm quite the go-getter and all this kind of stuff, um, and I'm looking around the room and, and I'm used to this. There's people around me all the time <laughs> who are way more talented than I am, and when they came to me, I said, yeah, I can I can take a beating and not quit. That's really the only skill that I have is I will outlast you. <laughs> okay, and I can't tell you guys. To me, that's the secret sauce. Everywhere you go, there are people that are smarter than you, that are stronger than you, that are more experienced than you. Fine. But you can't, you know, they're not going to outwork you. You can outlast them. You can just take the beating, keep getting back up. And that's really, really important in anything that you're going to do. Don't quit. And that also ties into this idea of confession. Okay, I was just thinking about this when Monsignor was talking. We all screw up all the time. And instead of feeling bad about yourself, get up, admit it, go to confession, Knock it off and get back, get back to it. So if, if any of you guys need to go, it won't hurt my feelings. Go ahead. Go to confession. It's way more important than anything I'm going to tell you guys tonight. The third thing I was going to tell you guys um, was that you, you need to be willing to risk everything. All right? And this is, um, this is kind of a personal story. I've never told it to a group. Um, 
the, the story about, about oversleeping, my kids say that's their least favorite story. This one, my daughter says, is her favorite dad's story. Um, and it, it happened when I was a third year medical student. Um, and as Eric, who's in the audience, can, can attest, um, the, the third year medical student is the lowest ranking individual entity in the hospital. Okay, everything rolls downhill to the third year medical student. And I was on the OB rotation, middle of the night, which is when all this crazy stuff tends to happen. And without going into too many details, a woman comes in in preterm labor. Baby's 28 weeks old, which back then was right around the limit of viability. And the woman didn't want to be pregnant and had given the baby up for adoption, you know, when the baby was born, or was going to when the baby was born. And what she said was, um, when the baby's born, I don't want it resuscitated. I just want the problem to go away. I remember her saying that, I just want the problem to go away. And I'm there with the, with the senior residents and the, the intern, and they're all, you know, nodding very emphatically. Oh yeah, we understand, of course. And we, we leave the room that she was in, and a lot of these rooms where you do deliveries, there's a resuscitation area off to the side. And we go in that room, and I'm like, dude, we're resuscitating this baby. And I start arguing with him, okay? And it's me and four women, two seniors, an intern, and I think a junior. I don't remember. And they start saying, well, listen, you have to be able to respect the mom's rights and all that. I say, I understand that, but this is a viable baby. We, we, we have to resuscitate this kid. We've got to give it a try. And then they say, it gets a little bit more heated, and they start saying, listen, stand down, or we're going to have you um, going for counseling. Okay, fine. And then, you know, I keep pushing on this, and then they start threatening me more with um, having to repeat the rotation, and finally... They're starting to say that, knock this off. If you want to resuscitate this baby, we're going to kick you out of medical school. We will see to it that you get thrown out. Now, by this point here, I've already gone through undergrad, done all the stuff that it takes to get into medical school. I've dug myself an enormous debt. And I wasn't even thinking about this. Something weird happened inside of my head. And I was so committed at that point. No matter what they said, I kept saying to them, I remember this, it was... I don't care, we're resuscitating this baby. They would say something else. I don't care, we're resuscitating this baby. They could have asked me if I wanted you know, beer and kibasa. I don't care, we're resuscitating this baby. <laughs> All right? That's what they kept on, and they kept pushing me and pushing me on this. And, and, and I remember next to the, to the warmer where you, know, you work on the babies, there was this button on the wall. Um, and I remember exactly what it looked like. It was a red circle about this big on a sort of a beige junction box with a little silver panel on it. And if you hit that, it sent a signal down to the NICU. And that let them know that there was a baby that needed resuscitation and they would come down. And so they're yelling and it's getting all you know heated in there. And I remember I look right at my senior, I say, I don't care. Bang. We're resuscitating this baby. And they're yelling at me, and I walked off, and I think I flipped them off or something as I left the room. I was, I was pissed. And drove home in a fog. I remember the sun was starting to come up by then. And I get home, and we, our, our son was born 
you know, about six or nine months earlier. You know, he was little. I remember he was laying there in the, in the crib, and I'm thinking, dude, I just screwed this up for you. And I, I had to tell my wife. And I explained to her what happened. And th this is how you know, okay, that you married the right person. She says to me, look, I don't care. She says, I wouldn't want to be married to somebody who would let that happen to a baby. We'll work this out. Don't worry about it. So the next day, i, I got to show back up to work, right? So the next day I show up, and um, the, the, the incident wound up going to an ethics committee twice, which was an, an interesting experience where you have to stand there in front of your peers and, and some of the people who were involved with this and sort of explain what you were thinking and, and why you did this. Um, and the weird thing is, not only did I get cleared for it, but I actually got honors on the rotation, which was really odd. Um, and, and they agreed that, yeah, what I had done was a, a reasonable and fair thing. Um, interesting thing, and this is something that, that um, a couple people I've told this to have asked about. I never found out what happened to the kid. Never asked, never checked up on it. It didn't matter at that time. Because the important thing, and this is something that's true in medicine, is you can't control the outcomes on stuff, right? What you can do is the best you can do. And as long as you've done that, you've, you've done your job. And that was what was important for me to do at that, in that situation. I wasn't the neonatologist. I couldn't take care of this kid any more than that. But I could let them know and, and sort of advocate for him um, to, to get the help that he needed. But a lot, of, a lot of the time, people are scared of taking the stand on something that's difficult, that could have really bad negative impl you know, implications for you. And I think if you do, you're going to have troubles later on. All right. Look, in in I think in life you either live with you either live with suffering or regret. It's one or the other. Okay. And regret sucks. It's terrible. I I don't know how I would be living with myself if I hadn't done this for this kid. And you're going to be put in situations like this in your career, and it's very very helpful I think right now to start thinking about what you would do and to be very clear about what's important to you and what matters. Fourth thing I would say um, is you guys need to pray. All right? Um, I, can, I can hear now arguments coming off that you're too busy. And it's true. We're all busy. But the I don't have time argument I don't think works. Um, whenever people say, I don't have time or I don't have money, I think that's a self-defeating argument to make. In reality, you have time and you have money. You're just choosing on what you're going to spend it with. You've got to get your priorities in line. And if, if I stop praying, people notice it. Vladimir Horowitz was this amazing concert pianist, okay? Um, and even when he was, you know, well into his 60s, 70s, I mean, he was an amazing guy. He says, if I stop practicing for a day, I can tell the difference. If I go for two days, my wife can tell the difference. If I go to three days, everybody can tell the difference. And I tried this once. I tried, you know, I, I tried to stop saying my office. So let's see what happens. And after two or three days, my wife was like, dude, you're a bear. What's going on? All right, and I could tell. I mean, I was grumpy. I was ornery. Little stuff was getting to me. You, you, you need to have that connection and it's really, really helpful to put you in touch with sort of 
at least understanding how to respond to things. Um, up until, what was it, October of last year, I was in formation for the permanent diaconate, okay? Um, had spent you know, time going through the preliminary stuff, all the interviews, they do a lot of interviews. Gone through my aspirancy year, was into my lecture year, and um, I'm at the seminary, I'm taking a class, and I get a phone call that the formation team wants to talk to me afterwards. All right, which is, this is not something that would normally happen. So I say, okay, and we meet, and what they told me was that I had got promoted to my new job uh, back in April. And they said, well, here's, here's what we're concerned about. We couldn't have a Catholic deacon who is the president of a company where some of the docs are prescribing birth control, right? Performing abortions, probably happening. Now, I was worried about this before I took the job. And I had talked with people and was told, ethically, it's fine for you. Um, they talked about the principle of double effect. But there was a potential for scandal. And that's what the formation team was worried about. And so, I mean, the last thing you want to do, I mean, you, you, you go into the diaconate just like you go into medicine because you want to help. You want to be of service. And so I said, okay, got it. But afterwards, I couldn't understand why. So I don't know if you guys have been down to the, to the seminary, but there's this you know, big church in the middle of it. And this is probably around, I don't know, 9.30, quarter to 10. I'd already worked a 12-hour day, been in class, had this conversation. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I was fairly clear that I had received a real call, that this was what I was supposed to do. I checked it over with my spiritual director, had lots of confirmations along the way. I'm six years in on the process, spent, I don't know how much money on courses, lots and lots of hours that I had spent in on this. And now the plug gets pulled. And I didn't know what to think of it. But I knew I had to go pray about it. So you know, they've got, they've got a tabernacle there. So I sit down in front of the presence. And I said what was simultaneously the most appropriate and least appropriate prayer of my life. This is all I could get out as I'm sitting there. I just said, ah, shit. <laughs> because I didn't know, I didn't know what, what else to say. And very, very quickly, the response I got back was, say thank you. To this day, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be grateful for about this. All right? I will probably figure it out eventually. But that helped to focus me for how I was supposed to respond to this situation. Even though I don't know why, I knew I was supposed to respond to it with gratitude. Don't know why I'm supposed to be grateful about it, but I was. And that's sort of the attitude I've carried forward on this. But being able to, to have that time and to get that sort of connection is really, really useful. And it may come up for you guys at work. I just, um, you, you may have seen um, in the news about three weeks ago, one of our doctors was killed in a car crash. She and her husband and her kids um, were driving up from Florida. And this is somebody that I trained. She was one of my residents. I had, I had taken care of her kids in the clinic. And 
we had a meeting at, at Beaumont about this. And I'm, I'm sitting there with like the executive leadership, you know, the, the C-suite. And as we're getting ready to, to begin this meeting, chief medical officer looks over at me and says, Dan, would you start us off with a prayer? That's normally not how we begin our meetings, but they recognized a need for it. And if you're living out your faith at work, very, very often people will identify that in you. They'll see it in you. And when stuff like this happens, they'll want you there to help them through it. And I fumbled through what was not a very elegant prayer at all. But afterwards, one of the people came up and said that it was terribly moving to her. Not because anything I said, but just that's what they were needing at the time. So really, really, guys, cultivate that idea of a prayer life. Budget the time for it. If it's important, you make time for it. And that's all I got. Just those four points there, okay? Take ownership for everything and don't make excuses. Don't quit. Be willing to whisk everything and pray. Okay? That's it. Thanks, guys. I'm going to turn this off. Well, thank you, doctor, for those stories. I think we can learn a lot from your four points. All right, so this is Q&A time. So I want you to take out your phone and go to your text messages and type in this number. Usually we have postcards, but no, we've started doing text Q&A. Yeah, we're trying to keep with the times. <laughs> All right, so if you have your phone out, here's the phone number, 313-528-0101. Okay, so hopefully you have that number. If not, ask a neighbor, maybe they got it. And think about what questions you might have. Okay, so while you're doing that, I do have a little question here to get us started. So, doctor, you mentioned, of course, acknowledging that everyone uses I'm busy as an excuse. So if that's our tendency, if we tend to say I'm too busy, what's one simple, tangible thing you would suggest to help us get started to start to implement these things in our life, even though we're busy? I think that people will find time for things that are important, all right? So if you decide that prayer is important or exercise is important, then, then make the time for it. I mean, the things that matter most should never be at the mercy of the things that matter least. So just like everything else, you need to budget things and you need to be disciplined with what your time is. I mean, it's your, one of the most valuable resources you have. So you have to use it wisely. For me, I find that the morning is the most controlled part of the day. 
Everything kind of falls apart as the day goes through. All right? But I have to get up in the morning, say my prayers. Is it working? Hold it up over here. Okay. Get up in the morning, say my prayers, do my exercising. If I don't do it in the morning, it ain't going to happen. All right? Um, I think it's true for everybody else. And just having a real clear schedule for how you're going to get through the day. I think if we're being honest with ourselves, most of us waste a lot of time. Where we're, you know, sitting around, playing on the computer, watching stupid TV shows, things like that. Budget your time and, and prioritize the stuff you, you need to get done. It, sound, it sounds simple, I just don't have a better answer. How do you rebuke a subordinate effectively, but in a way that encourages them to do better and doesn't crush their spirit? I don't. I try to crush their spirits. Um, you know, it's, it's very helpful to take the position of the person you're talking to when you're having these kind of discussions um, and try to begin the discussion with the understanding that the person you're talking to is probably not evil or a complete idiot or incompetent or something like that and try to understand how the, how the fault came about. Um, there, is a, there is a truth in life that people won't care what you think unless they think that you care. All right? So hopefully with your subordinates, you've, you've had a chance to work with them and to get to know them and for them to realize that you're not a bad person who's sitting there trying to crush them or to destroy them. And then instead, really what you're trying to do is to develop these people and to help them along. It's very helpful to have somebody criticize you if it's done in the right way, where you understand what's going on, then you say, okay, yeah, but look, here's how this is coming off. We're seeing this, 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 and this. And then you get very specific about it, okay? Vague criticism, such as, you're not doing a good job, or I need you to work harder, or stop doing stupid stuff, doesn't work. But instead, you tack it down to, you know, at that meeting, the way that you handled this, this, and this wasn't good. Here's some other ways you could have done it. And to be very specific about that. Um, specificity is, is really, really good. And remember that you're doing this because you're trying to help this person. If you keep that in mind, I, I think it's, it's pretty, pretty easy to do this without breaking people's, uh, people's spirit. How can we find balance between a good, stable job that provides for our needs and doing something that we feel is important and meaningful? Maybe a false choice. Um, ideally, your job should be something that you find meaningful, right? Um, Sometimes, oh, sorry, oh, not, okay. It's either that or you're going to throw up. I couldn't tell what that was. Um, <laughs> look, um, there's a lot of meaning um, in the jobs that we do. Um, not, not just in medicine, but in a lot of places. Sometimes meaning is um, the way that you're witnessing to the people around you. Sometimes that meaning is the, the way that you're witnessing to your family, that you're you know, working this hard to, to provide for them. Um, find something, though, that's, that's meaningful for you. You may be able to do that in your work, 
but sometimes you just have a job that you need to do to make ends meet. All right, that, I mean, that, that happens sometimes. And when that happens, you use that then as an opportunity to do the best version of that job that you can. And if it's not fulfilling at that point, then I think you can go ahead and look for, you know, other things. I mean, I saw that there was a thing for Knights of Columbus. It's a fantastic group. But there's going to be other, other programs, other things that are important to you that, that you want to work on. Um, I, I know people um, who volunteer at um, uh, homeless shelters that volunteer um, at clinics for battered women. When I used to work in the ER, um, there was this program called First Step where these, uh, you know, we would have these um, women come in who had been abused and middle of the night folks would come in and they bring in warm clothes and they get them set up with resources and they got a safe place to put them. That's tremendously, you know, gratifying work. But try to, try to find that and surround yourself with, with people who, who are like-minded and want to, and want to help in those missions. Regarding balance with your family, how do you set clear expectations with your wife about the amount of time you spend with her and your family versus the time you spend at work? You clearly haven't met my wife. I don't set expectations with her. <laughs> she sets them with me. Um, I think it's important to do one thing at a time and then stop, all right? When I'm at work, I'm at work. And other than, you know, maybe at lunchtime when I call in to say hi or something like that, I'm doing work stuff when I'm at work. Once I get home, I'm not checking email. I'm not calling people. Sometimes I get calls at night unless it's a real, you know, emergency. You know, somebody just wants to call to complain about something. Nah, that'll, that'll wait till the morning. When I'm at home, I'm at home, though. All right? And I think it gets really blurry for a lot of people who take the work home with them that suddenly you're not fully present to your family when you're at home. And that, I think, is, is very, very dangerous. You've also got to have you know, clear priorities about what's important to you. If you find that your job is damaging your marriage, get a different job. It's not that, it's not that important. You know, a, a, a exercise I've done since I was a little kid was to think, you know, I, I realized when I was eight that I was going to die. Okay, and, and I thought, well, when you're laying there about to die, you want to be able to look back on your life and think about what kind of a life you have wanted to have, right? Okay, I was a morbid kid, I don't know. But it's really useful. And in fact, somebody told me that this is part of like, you know, what St. Ignatius talks about in the exercises is using that as a tool for discernment. When I'm later in life looking back on this decision I'm about to make, will I be happy I did it or not? You can use that on a smaller scale, I think, to answer some of these kind of questions, too, about should I really be continuing to answer emails at night, or should I just knock it off and, and spend time with my family? Well, many of your stories and, of course, your experience both in the Navy and in medical school and as a physician lead us to believe that you are probably quite a disciplined person. So how would you define discipline and maybe give us a couple words of advice of how to Im increase discipline in our own lives? That's an interesting question. Um, I think the, the, the best way with anything is to start small and try to get control over a few things in your life that, that you think are, are relatively easy to control. 
that might just be a matter of getting up in the morning. I'll tell you one thing, and my wife teases me about this, is I make my bed every day. Okay? Been doing it forever, and again, you get you get up. All right? First thing in the morning, you get up and you've done something. And even if you have a terrible day later on, you know you're going to come home to a made bed. That's not all bad, all right? But discipline is a, is a habit, and I think that the more you do it, the more you're going to realize that this gives you a lot of freedom in your life, okay? So pick a couple of things that you think need to change and change them. And then once you have those squared away, move on to the next, and you sort of expand this. I think if, if, if we look at our lives, a lot of the time, we're, we're busy reacting to situations that have built up or that, you know, through not paying attention to them, have, we've allowed it to happen. Things that you really didn't want to do, but all of a sudden it's been put off and now you've got to deal with it. You know, it's, uh, it's late and you haven't you know, done the dishes yet because you sat around for an hour and a half on Netflix. Instead, not judging, but, but getting, the, getting the work part done first, getting the, the things that need to be done taken care of first gives you a lot more freedom. And I think that once people start doing this, um, it, it becomes fairly rewarding. The other thing is um, you will try this and you will make mistakes and you'll fall off. That doesn't mean you can't do it get up and try again. As long as you, if you don't quit, you don't fail. That's really what this is. You just keep coming back at it and coming back at it. And the, I mean, the way to get disciplined is just to get disciplined. But it all begins with you deciding that this is something that you want to do. And once you've done that, you go ahead and start putting it into concrete steps. And last question regarding priorities and your personal life. So in your experience, when you go about prioritizing your life, do you feel like it's more something that you revisit once a year or twice a year to kind of see in a big picture your priorities, or are you continually assessing your priorities on a daily basis? I think, you, I, I think we all kind of identify and, and prioritize things on a daily basis. I mean, we all know what's important to us. You know, what, what it is that, that we think is what we should be spending our time on. Um, there's some broad ones that you need to do um, and to keep clear about. Like again, marriage. That's one thing for sure. When I was going through the diaconate, um, it was like, well, I might, have a, I might have a vocation to the diaconate, but I know I have a vocation to marriage. That's got to come first, all right? Then you have you know, sort of next level things uh, beyond that. But I think that we, all of us, um, by the way that we you know, choose to spend our time, are kind of acting on our, on our priorities. Um, the things that you spend the time on the most, those, those become your priorities, or you're allowing them to become your priorities. Um, I think it's helpful to you know, step back periodically and, and sort of look at this. But again, if you're spending time in prayer, if you're staying close to the sacraments, um, I think your priorities are going to be made a little bit clearer, and you're going to have the proper framework with which to, to analyze and to, to deal with a lot of stuff. All right. Well, thank you, Doctor, again. Let's give him a hand. And before you leave, we did want to thank you with a gift 
our patron saint is St. Joseph the Worker, so the gift is in that theme. All right, that was wonderful. Thank you again, doctor. All right, last thing, I would like to introduce one of the members of our leadership team. Her name is Alexandria Bohenik, and she is our director of membership. She and her assistant, Stephen Steckschulte, work with our executive mentors, our spiritual guides, and of course our members to ensure a very high quality member experience. How many of you are members, by the way? Okay, that's a small percentage. There is a table in the back and Alexandria will be around about membership, but you can certainly talk to the leaders or the current members to learn more about our membership benefits and also how essentially membership equals investment in our community and giving back to our community and being officially part of it. Okay, so she will come up. She'll give you some announcements and some closing thank yous. Hello, everybody. So thank you once again, Dr. Fratarelli, for um, everything that you had to say tonight. I really do appreciate um, all of the practicality of what you had to say. And um, I think we all have a little something to take home with us tonight. Um, and thank you again, too, for, for challenging us or re-challenging us um, in our, our faith life and in our personal lives um, with everything you had to say tonight. Um, I have a lot of thank yous, um, a lot of wonderful people to thank for, to, for tonight, um, for making everything possible. Um, I do want to give a special thank you to St. Florian's for hosting us tonight, as well as to um, Father Murek. Um, I also want to thank Polish Village Cafe for the amazing spread. I hope you guys all enjoyed the good Polish food. Um, I, of course, also want to thank um, uh, Alliance Catholic Credit Union as well as Penske for their generous support. Um, thank you, Monsignor Krasenki, for your time and talent, um, as well as the YCP Detroit team and all of our fabulous volunteers. Thank you so much for your help tonight with um, the event. Um, I also want to thank our photographer, Mark, as well as North End Productions for recording tonight's executive speaker series. Um, a re this recording of tonight's um, talk will be available um, on Facebook, as well as on ycpdetroit.org forward slash recordings, and anywhere else that you might find podcasts. Um, last, but certainly not least, I do want to thank all of you for braving the sub-zero temperatures. Um, and being here tonight. I hope we continue to see you all at our events. Um, and I encourage you to invite family, friends, coworkers to join us um, as well. Just a reminder that our next um, event is our networking happy hour on February 13th. It's at Harry's Bar, and I hope to see you all there. Our next executive speaker series is going to be February 27th at St. Peter Claver Parish. 
um, and we'll have Clark Durant speaking um, at that event. Um, and unfortunately tonight, because of the inclement weather, there will not be a um, after party, but feel free to mingle for a few minutes um, after we wrap up here. Um, enjoy what's left of the food, um, stop by the membership table as Leah mentioned. Um, you can also speak to us too about becoming a parish ambassador um, and find out a little bit more about what that's all about. Um, and I think everybody should have on their seats or nearby them somewhere um, our St. Joseph the Worker Prayer. And we'll pull that out now. Yeah, Bridget has more back there in case you don't have one. Okay. And we'll wrap up tonight um, with that prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. St. Joseph, by the work of your hands and the sweat of your brow, you supported Jesus and Mary and had the Son of God as your fellow worker. Teach me to work as you did, with patience and perseverance, for God and for those whom God has given me to support. Teach me to see in my fellow workers the Christ who desires to be in them, that I may always be charitable and forbearing towards all. Grant me to look upon work with the eyes of faith, so that I shall recognize in it my share in God's own creative activity and in Christ's work of our redemption, and so take pride in it. When it is pleasant and productive, Remind me to give thanks to God for it. And when it is burdensome, teach me to offer it to God in reparation for my sins and the sins of the world. Amen. One last announcement. If you guys have name badges, um, feel free to give it to anybody on the leadership team. I think Tim and Adam and a couple of us will be around to gather those up from you guys. So don't forget, um, don't take those home with you. <laughs> And, and, yeah, don't forget to, to pick up your Chick-fil-A card on the way out. There's, it's, a, it's a gift card, I believe. Um, yeah, gift card to Chick-fil-A for the members. Oh, for, yeah, I, think, I thought it was for everyone. So, yeah, anybody who wants a Chick-fil-A.